All right. Well, today we, we do continue our study on the Holy Spirit. We're winding to the close of it. Like I said, Bob will be back next week, and he will certainly uh, certainly continue on and correct anything that we have said, your guest speakers, that may have not been completely accurate. I think we're pretty close. Uh, if not right on, we're looking forward to having him back. Um, I do want to say a word about uh, Annalise and the Well Collective. Um, if you're not aware... I already said we're just great to have her. Um, but Well Collective released their EP this week. I don't know if you know of it, Taylor. And I encourage you. I don't usually do this. I never do this. But I encourage you to listen to their song alive off of that. Not only is it just musically solid, I encourage you to listen to the words of that song. Um, it'll, it'll, uh, it'll stir your soul. It'll stir your heart. All right? Today we continue our study, uh, building on kind of what we've been teaching. TC, by the way, like I said, did an awesome job last week, and uh, and we continue on in the study. And today we're going to look at the gifts or the gifting of the Holy Spirit. You know, a couple weeks ago, and TC touched on, we talked about how this Holy Spirit indwells us, happens at the moment of salvation, the moment we realize that that what Jesus Christ said about Himself and what the Bible testifies to Him about is in fact true. That he is the Son of God, he's the Savior of the world. We accept him. The Holy Spirit indwells us immediately, completely, totally, never to let us go. It's like a it's like a, a flash move in. He just he just establishes his residence in our soul. Talked about in fi- a filling of the Holy Spirit, basically the transformation, that ongoing process that Christians actually refer to as sanctification, where we we grow in our Christ likeness. As we pursue God, as we seek Him, we grow in that. We grow in our character. We grow in our works of service to the Lord. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit, the transformation that occurs in us. The TC really addressed so well last week. Um, But we also talked a couple weeks ago about how within that context, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can damage our relationship with the Holy Spirit because we don't obey. And we can also quench the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit's power in us. And again, we talked about how that word quench is the same word that Paul uses when he talks about use the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of your enemy, Satan. It has that same meaning. So we can affect our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that leads us to then, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is transforming us daily. So what are spiritual gifts? And I found this really cool chart that I think is really simple to understand, flows very nicely. I think that, that, uh, that it really helps explain what, what spiritual gifts are. Does that make sense to you all? Actually, I, I appreciate the giggles because that's what I was going after. Um, but if you look at this really, really closely, we're going to look at some scriptures in a moment. We're just going to read through them. This is not a sermon on... Here's this spiritual gift. Here's what it is. Here's how you do it. All that stuff. None of that. You have that in your bulletin in an outline. But what this tells us is, is the extent, really, of the spiritual gifts. The only one that's missing off this list from the scriptures we're going to read is the interpretation of tongues. But I just thought that was kind of a cool little thing to drop on us. So our text today will be primarily 1 Corinthians 12. 
We're going to also look at Romans 12. We're also going to look at Ephesians 4. So if you turn to 1 Corinthians 12, that'll be our primary text. We're going to read quite a bit of scripture to start. And, of course, there's an outline in your bulletin if you care to. Care to. So 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to start at verse 1, try and give some context here. And it says this, Now, dear brothers and sisters, Regarding your question about the special ability the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. Let's stop there for a moment. Remember that the church in Corinth, Corinth was a very international city for its day. It was at the crossroads of a major trade route. Um, it, It had multiple temples. It had multiple types of worship. It was known for its licentiousness, its sin, and its differing worships, a lot of that being sexual in nature. It reminds me kind of a lot of what we would probably think of Las Vegas today. It was kind of an anything-goes kind of city. Okay, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. All right? That's the background that Paul is speaking into for the the believers that have now come out of those pagan, pagan religions and system of business and government. Verse 3, so I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. And still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes these gifts, and He alone decides which gift each person should have. Jump down to verse 27, 28, same chapter. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you are a part of it, or is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, and then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in an unknown tongue. Let's jump over to Ephesians, or I'm sorry, to Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 1. Again, we're just going to go through the biblical background and context for the spiritual gifts. What does the Bible define as the spiritual gifts? Start in verse 1 to give a little little background. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way 
to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And, and T.C. spoke at that on that at length last week. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, Paul speaking, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, in his grace, God has given us different gifts. By the way, the word for gift is charis, is in charisma. That's where we get that word. And it simply means gracious gift. And a grace, of course, is unmerited favor. So our gifts are unmerited gifts. We don't deserve them. We can't do anything to earn them. Okay? Verse 6, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as, about as, with as, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well or to the best of your ability. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it with gladness. Last verses, group of verses, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And in these descriptions, we see the complete list of what the Bible describes as the spiritual gifts. And there are many things today that we call spiritual gifts that we never test against the authority of God's word. And they're not really spiritual gifts, but they may be abilities. They may simply be Christian obedience. So what are the common threads that we see in all of these spiritual gifts? Well, what we see is, they're not for me. I may receive a gift, and it's my gift that the Holy Spirit has given me, but it's not for me. It's not for my glory. It's not for my purpose. It's not necessarily for my benefit. It is for the benefit of the church, God's people. The gifts fulfill God's purpose. So, Use them with reckless abandon, one of my favorite terms. Use them with gusto. If you have the ability to give, give generously. If you have the ability to teach, teach. I often say, like you mean it. Okay? If you have the ability to lead, lead and take that responsibility seriously. Gusto. Use your gift with gusto, with everything you have in service to our King. Thirdly, and we see a very unique thing here. If you go back to, to verses 4 and 6, 4 through 6, we see that God is mentioned three times. And it's a great picture. What Paul is doing is he's framing up a picture of the triunity, the trinity of God. 
And he's, he's basically saying, I'm about to tell you about spiritual gifts, but within the Godhead, look at the unity we have, yet the diversity that we have. And that's the picture of the, Holy, uh, of, of the gifts that we have. The picture is that we are all gifted to form one body, but it's all for the benefit of the body. Diversity in unity. A term that's kind of become real popular in the secular world today. But 2,000 years ago, Paul was teaching this to the church. First Peter 1 says this, God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. So use them well to serve one another. And what that tells us is that we all have at least one gift. Some have more. We're told to seek the greater gifts. But all of us have at least one gift if we're believers in Christ. By the way, let's jump back in 1 Corinthians 12 to verse 3. Where does he even start with this? He starts with salvation. The question is that, that, that is in front of all of these things we're going to talk about is, are you saved? Do you believe Jesus Christ is in fact who he claimed to be? Have you accepted him into your heart? Because he says, what's the testimony of your mouth? You can't say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit is in you. You, can't, you won't curse him if the Holy Spirit is in you. What is your relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you a child of his? We also see, of course, that it's the Holy Spirit that gives the gifts. Okay? But within those gifts, again, like I said, diverse gifts, but unity. You know, you can't really speak about this topic without mentioning tongues, right? And so just, I'm not, that's, I'm not here to teach on tongues, but I do want to say one thing, and I told the first service, you didn't know you were going to come to church today and get homework, but you get homework. And it's 1 Corinthians 14, okay? 1 Corinthians 14, go home, read it, see what, see what you think about what Paul says there. But here's the deal. So within that context of that reading, what we see is he uses the word tongue. And the word tongue actually means the physical tongue. But it's come to mean languages and tongues. We think of tongues as being kind of tribes that speak tongues. So it's come to refer to language. 1 Corinthians 13.1 also teaches us that there is an angelic language. So there is a language that angels use. No big deal. But the biblical examples that we see most often, especially in the New Testament, show individuals speaking in a known tongue, but a tongue that's unknown to them. For the purposes of what? Proclaiming God's truth. We also see examples, especially when Gentiles are converted, that they then speak in tongues, right? So, so as a sign of their conversion... Think of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, and his household. But at the end of the day, Paul's message is simply this. The purpose of tongues, of the use of tongues, primary purpose, primary purpose. And in fact, all spiritual gifts is for the encouraging, the comforting, and the strengthening of the body of Christ. That's the bottom line. Okay? 
also want to point out that, that, you know, like I said, I'm not going to go through the spiritual gifts line by line. We've read them. You have a, a little bit further definition and, and, and description in your, in your bulletin. But often we think that, that spiritual gifts and Christian obedience are kind of the same thing. And they're not. And I want to point out a few examples. We're all called to be obedient. That's the bottom line of the Christian faith. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Follow, follow God. Become more Christ-like. Things we've heard. Things we teach. But... For example, there are people that have been given just unique wisdom and insight into the Word of God. Yet we're all called to live wisely. Romans 16 tells us that. There are people that have unbelievable faith. Nothing ever seems to shake them. That is a gift from God. But we as a body of Christians in obedience to our Lord are called to walk by faith, abound in faith, take up the shield of faith, Pursue faith. Those aren't gifts. That's obedience. There are those that teach. And they are gifted to teach. And they come to know Christ. And then they teach. Right? But we're commanded to teach God's truth. And we call that witnessing. What's the Great Commission after all? Some have the supernatural ability to just help. They don't get discouraged. They, don't, they just keep going. Yet we are commanded as the church to serve one another in love and to minister to others, the needs of others. We're called to exhort. There are people that, that just, they are unbelievably positive. It is a gift from God to just continuously exhort. Yet we, in obedience to Christ are called to exhort one another daily, Hebrews 3.13. There are those that give way above, beyond the 10%, or whatever factor they would deem appropriate. They have that gift. They have those means and they have that gift. Sometimes it's not even means. They just give liberally of what they have. And often that's the case. But we are to give in obedience to Christ, not grudgingly or of necessity, but, but cheerfully. Nobody said that with a smile, by the way, so you're getting the grade down. Okay. Um, and last example is there are amazing people that just they can step into a hurtful, negative situation in terms of mercy. They go to hospitals and it's just they don't necessarily enjoy it, but they do it. And it's a gift to them to be able to speak into that situation. Yet we are all commanded to be merciful. So make sure that you're not saying, well, I'm not gifted in that area. Because it's an area you're called to obey in. Whether you have a special gift or not. The other thing I wanted to talk a little bit about, and it's maybe a little bit off topic, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the fruit of the Spirit. So if you take your Bible and you turn to Galatians 5. We're going to pick it up in, uh, let's see, verse uh, 16. First Chronicles is not Galatians. Here we go. So we're in Galatians 5, verse 16. I'm just going to read this first verse, then we're going to jump down to 22. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Just stop right there. 
Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Notice it does not say fruits in our life. It says fruit in our life. It is a singular fruit made up of the components that he's about to describe. And so a litmus test for us in our obedience to Christ and following God and allowing the Holy Spirit to empower us and using our gifts is simply this. And if you've ever been in Awana, go ahead and sing out. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. And then he goes on to say this. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross, to his cross, and crucified him there. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every single part of our lives. In every part of our lives. So the question is this. Am I yielded? to Christ and the Holy Spirit so that my life will yield fruit. Do I possess the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Talked about that kind of a litmus test. And am I really, if I'm honest with myself, applying and appropriating what Paul teaches us in verse 24 and 25? Verses 24 and 25. Am I really doing that? Am I using my gift? Or am I still trying to figure it out? Because the truth is, there's 20 odd things on that list. And I I would venture to say that if we're honest with ourselves, there is something on that list that I know deep in my soul I'm good at. Or I have an interest in doing. Or it touches my heart for some unknown reason that I should be involved in that activity. Am I using my gift or am I still sitting on the sideline? The last thing I want to point out in terms of the gifts is simply this. Often we we look at the gifts and we talk about it in in the Christian believer perspective. But I believe one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is is really to, well, the Bible teaches, to give life. It's that, it's that, it's that, it's not a mystery, but it's that, it's that mysterious interaction of, of coming to salvation. That no one can come unless the Father draws them, but the message of Jesus Christ is is stirring in our hearts, and that stirring power is the Holy Spirit. Talking to our soul, wrestling with our soul, fighting with Satan to bring us to the truth, the salvation, the rescue that Jesus Christ offers. John 6.63 says this, the Spirit gives life. Romans 8, 2, and because you belong to him, Jesus Christ, the power of life-giving spirit has freed you from the power that leads to death. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. 1 2 Corinthians 3. We see this dynamic in the process of salvation, the Holy Spirit's interaction and involvement. And I've invited Marisa Pittman to come forward and share a story that comes out of Hume Lake this year. It involves some of our kids that used to attend this church or used to attend this church. 
that are counselors and leaders at Hume Lake. And it really gives, as my daddy would say, teeth to the message of exhortation, obedience, kindness, mercy, helps, all of that. As we hear a story about a particular camper who was not your particular Christian camper. Marissa, come on up. Well, thank you. I, um, I, yes, I'm the mom of Isaac Pittman and um, the son who usually sits here with me with the big hair. Um, he came home from college um, and uh, very quickly left uh, for uh, Hume Lake Christian Camps to be um, to serve there to work there as a counselor for the summer, and um, and he's got different jobs week by week. One week he'll be a counselor, another week he'll work in the kitchen, another week he'll be a janitor. Mm-hmm. And that's really funny that he's working in the kitchen. <laughs> um, on this particular week that he shared this story, um, he was uh, a counselor to uh, middle school boys. And um, the kids arrived Sunday afternoon and he met this new group of boys and it was obvious pretty quickly that um, uh, the boys in his group were Christian, all except for one. Um, Isaac learned pretty quickly that this one um, uh, had a mom and dad that were not Christian. And mom and dad, um, in fact, uh, made it their habit to mock uh, Christianity, um, thinking that those uh, who believed in Jesus were um, kind of akin to those who uh, believed in fairies or unicorns or those kinds of things. And Justin um, mimicked his parents in that, in mocking and that kind of thing. Um, Justin had been spending a few weeks visiting his grandma. His grandma was a Christian. And grandma signed him up to go to camp uh, with the church. <laughs> And he was not happy about that, and he made sure everybody knew he was not happy about that. Every activity that uh, Justin participated in, he was determined to disrupt. Um, If they were doing something fun, uh, some kind of uh, team-building race kind of thing, he would drag his feet, uh, complain through the whole thing, causing his team to lose. They loved him for that. Uh, if going to the dining hall, he would drag his feet in that and complain about the food. Every night at chapel, when they would get together and, and um, the, uh, worship together and hear a sermon, he was determined to fidget, to distract, to mock to, um, through the whole service. Um, Isaac was responsible for taking them back to the cabin at the end of uh, the evening and um, sharing, uh, having a small group discussion with them. And Justin was determined to disrupt that as well. Um, When Isaac finally had to step in and just shut him down, Justin would fall over into his bunk and pull the sleeping bag up over his head and go to sleep. Well, um, the teaching for that week was on the Old Testament. And um, they spent the first few days uh, in 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 their discussions and in that chapel time talking about 
the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system, animal sacrificial system, um, uh, sheep that would uh, atone for the sins of, of, the, of the individual and the people. And then those group discussions that happened in the cabin later that night would, um, would just lead off of that. Um, Isaac was really surprised to discover that these kids really didn't have a good understanding of sin. They thought of sin as big stuff like robbing banks and committing murder. But these kids were really being confronted with the sin in their own lives and in their own hearts, things that they hadn't really considered so much. They were just things that everybody did. Um, so those, those discussions in that cabin were really important. Isaac was thinking it would be really good for Justin to be a part of these discussions. But instead, he chose to sleep, and Isaac thought, well, maybe that's a good thing that he not interrupt. Um, Finally, on Thursday night of that week, they were going to, um, Isaac knew, all the counselors knew that that would be the evangelistic um, sermon that night where um, they had been talking about animal sacrifice and the, and, the, um, and the depth of sin in our hearts. And that night, Thursday night, they were going to introduce the Lamb of God, the solution to the problem of sin. It was an important night. They all knew it, and the counselors were praying for the impact of the Holy Spirit that night. Um, however, earlier in the day, on Thursday, um, they were having some fun activity, and the kids were divided up, and it just so happened that um, Justin was uh, with another group. He was with another counselor. And so Isaac had his little group that he was tending to that day, and in a very short time, here comes that other counselor with a look on his face and Justin in tow with a look on his face. And Isaac knew this is not good. The counselor described to Isaac how this kid, Justin, just went after a girl in the, in, in the group. Jess was horrible to her, called her every nasty name he could think of. The girl was reduced to tears. And so this counselor was bringing Justin back to Isaac to have a talk with him. So Isaac sat down and tried to talk with him. Said, listen, Justin, you're only going to be here at camp maybe 36 hours. Okay, that's it. You came here expecting and determined to cause, to, to, to have a bad time, to cause trouble. How about just 36 hours? How about we just try it the other way? Just, just try to have fun. Look for a place to have fun. Look for, just, just, just look for some fun for the next 36 hours. If it doesn't work, you haven't lost anything. Justin immediately rolled his eyes, and, you know, they were supposed to go to dinner, and Justin's complaining about dinner, and so Isaac knew, right over the head. He took him to the dining hall. Isaac says to me, this is, this is Isaac, this is true Isaac. He said, Mom, I was so upset, I couldn't even eat. Mom, I couldn't even eat. He went outside and sat on a rock, and he just starts praying and he knew that his prayer wasn't right, but he couldn't quite fix it. And maybe you've been in this place where he bowed his head and said, Lord, I know this kid is going straight to hell. But frankly, if I had a car, I'd put him in it and drive him to the front gate. 
That's where he was. At that very moment, along came this friend of his also, inspired and infused by the Holy Spirit. His name is Sam Lawrence. Grew up in, these two grew up in this youth group together. Sam said, Isaac, how you doing? And Isaac told him. And Sam said, instead of saying, oh, too bad for you, he sat down and started praying with him. said, Isaac, I had no idea you were trying to do this by yourself. You should not be doing this by yourself. Let me pray with you. And Isaac said at the end of that prayer, I just felt so, so energized. I've, and we've talked about the Holy Spirit and it's strengthening and it's comforting. Um, he felt like I could do this. For the next 36 hours, I could do this kid. So Isaac decided he was going to grab Justin. They were going to go into the chapel. Isaac was going to sit on him if he had to. But that Justin was not going to distract anybody from hearing the sermon that night. And as he sat there next to Justin, he noticed "Mm -hmm. Justin is not fidgeting. He's not distracting. In fact, Justin is not moving a muscle. Mom, I don't even think he blinked. And at the end of that sermon, when the pastor, when the teacher said, If there are any of you here who are ready to ask Jesus to be the atonement for your sin, I want you to stand up. Isaac says, Mom, he stood up. I think it was the first one. He stood up. Well, you know, all those kids that he had brutalized that week started coming around him with tears. The girls that he had called ugly names to were coming around and Embracing him and hugging him and welcoming him. The teacher had all of the kids that had not stood up leave the chapel. Some of them didn't go. Isaac said, I saw one of them standing at the back door. They're waiting to get their hands on Justin. They're waiting to welcome him. They're waiting to surround him. The kids that stood up, Justin included, were supposed to sit there with their counselor, make sure that they understand the commitment that they were making, and then pray. Isaac said, I bowed my head with this kid, and I prayed for, for repentance, for Jesus to be his Savior. He says, when I said amen, Mom, Mom, you've got to believe me. I know you and Brenna are always saying that I pad stories, that I exaggerate. You've got to believe me. I'm not exaggerating this, Mom. Please believe me. Mom, Mom, really, you've got to believe me. Okay, what? He says, when I opened my eyes and looked at this kid, I didn't recognize him. He didn't look at all the same. The eyes that had defiance and arrogance and plain meanness. Mom, he had the eyes of a little kid, innocent. Transformation. Just like that. Well, um, right after that, uh, Justin started asking Isaac all kinds of questions about reading the Bible. Where should I start? Isaac says, do you even have a Bible? He says, yeah. <laughs> Didn't know. Um, Justin said, uh, you know, all those discussions that you had, you thought I was asleep in the sleeping bag? No, I was listening to every word you said. I just didn't want anybody to know how stupid I was about the Bible, so I just pretended to be asleep. Every time Isaac turned around after that, that kid was, was just kind of frozen in place reading his Bible. Um, at the very end, just before they left, Isaac has a prayer journal, and he handed that prayer journal to Justin and said, I want you to write in it um, how I can be praying for you, because I am committed to pray for you. 
And Justin started crying. I said, what? What? Justin said, my parents are going to hell. He was like this with his parents when he walked in. That's transformation. He's now 180. So it, um, it's, it was so beautiful for me to hear this story from Isaac and see the pieces of the Holy Spirit, the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit, the fragrance of the Holy Spirit all the way through it, and then to sit here and listen to our speakers in the last month and not stand up and scream and shout and all that. Um, and so let, let me just tell you this, that if there are um, days for you when you, uh, you just want somebody to hear your story, of when you saw the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit um, uh, displayed himself in you, around you, to you, through you, and you want to share that story, I'm your girl. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. I love that story because it puts, as my daddy would say, teeth into what we study. And what we see, and we see our, our ironically, our, our young people showing us how it's done. It's a real encouragement for the future. Um, and what I love about that story is it has all these pieces of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's diversity and it's, and it's different giftings to those two guys and, and, and human general. And, and yet, there's this unity of purpose that, that comes together over one individual's soul and the strength that is evident in that unity as behind the scenes, a war is raging over that young man's soul. As the truth of Christ and the Father draws and the Holy Spirit explains and convicts. Remember we talked about how one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world. right? Convicts us of our, of our unrighteous standing before God. And it's all wrapped up. And the great news is God wins. And Justin is saved. And I don't know that man, I don't know that boy, but I know I'm going to see him in heaven. The other thing I love about that story is that those guys use their gifts. Maybe even unconsciously, but they use their gifts. So the question in front of us is, am I using my gift? What I also love about that story is is the little nuance of the kids who have been beaten up and abused and, and had, to, had to endure what was supposed to be a fun week in camp and was anything but until Thursday night. And what was their reaction? It would have been easy to walk away and leave that kid absolutely alone and felt justified, righteously justified, to use a church term, in that behavior. But they did not. They loved him. And it leads to our close because there's an interesting thing. We've been talking about the gifts. 
And we've been talking about what those gifts are, and we've talked about defining a gift versus pure obedience. We define, we've talked about using your gift. we define about getting off the bench and getting involved, serving your Lord. But at the end of the day, in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul gives us all that stuff about gifts and stuff, our primary text. And then he says this at the very last sentence in, tw- in verse 1231, he says, But now, let me show you a better way. Or some translations say, the best way. And then he goes to 1 Corinthians 13. And any of us that have ever attended a wedding know all about 1 Corinthians 13. It's known as the love chapter. And within the first four or five verses, he lists six or seven different gifts. But what always follows those gifts, my paraphrase, they're worthless. They're absolutely worthless if they're not founded in love. Grounded, cemented in love. And I would submit to you for your consideration that that the church is full of people doing the right thing from a godly perspective. They're doing, the, they're doing the right thing, but they're not doing it from a godly perspective. They're not doing it for the right reasons. We're involved in all these activities, but are we grounding all those activities in the love of Christ? Or are we just doing them because we think it's the right thing to do? And I would say that if it's not grounded in love based on Paul's teaching, based on the Bible, we need to rethink our position in the things that we do. You know, it's an interesting thing. The Bible teaches us, and we gloss over this because we use the word love so much in the church. But we're told, Romans 12, to really love with genuine affection. We're told to let our life be filled to overflowing with love. We're told to make love our highest pursuit. And the question really is, do we do that? Do I use my gift for my own benefit? Or do I use my gift because I love the church, I love others, and I love my God? And that's really the question in front of us today. This isn't so much a message about spiritual gifts, it is but it's a message about what is, what are those gifts grounded in? What are they rooted in? Is it my academic knowledge of the Bible? My knowing where to go when somebody asks me a question or I, I love to debate biblical precepts and concepts and all that stuff? Or is it just because that's, I love that stuff? Or, or is it because I love the people around me? And then what does that look like? Do I love others in the church? Not with my mouth, but with genuine affection.
and everything that means. Am I holding on to something today that I should have let go a long time ago against a Christian brother or sister? That's where we're at. That empowers our gifts. That makes us more effective. That keeps us from grieving the Holy Spirit and quenching His power in us. And makes the unity of the body as we use our gifts strong. And don't we all want to be strong together in our faith? Our foundation, ladies and gentlemen, our foundation must be, it must be, God-inspired, Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-empowered as we love others around us. If we don't love each other, how in the world, how in the world, realistically, honestly, how in the world are we going to love those who don't believe the message of Jesus Christ? They're like Justin. He might as well be an alien in their way of thinking. How are we going to love them if we don't first love each other? How are we going to use our gifts to the highest possible level if they're not rooted and grounded in love? Let's pray.